Hello and welcome to the Yoga Syndicate. This episode, we're going to discuss what, in fact, is a guru. Ellen, what is a guru? What is a guru, Alice? Well, a guru is supposedly someone who can teach us something. So you could have a guru who is teaching you any skill like music or art, uh, or your parents could be your gurus. But in the spiritual context, it means someone who leads you uh, towards a deeper understanding of, of who you are, a deeper understanding of reality. So guru, it's a Sanskrit word, we can translate this as a remover of darkness, the one who removed the, the darkness of ignorance for, from our minds. Uh, in Tibetan, we translate it as Lama. And Lama can mean the, means the, the highest principle, or Lama, also the highest mother, which uh, indicates that there is a very uh, intimate relationship between the guru and the student. Yeah, I, um, I noticed... You know, as I've gotten into this yoga world, that um, at least in the West, there's not a lot of talk of the guru. Um, why is that? Well, I think in the West, and especially here in Norway, <laughs> I will say, we don't have a great respect for knowledge in general. And uh, the guru principle is really uh, acknowledging that that someone knows a lot and that you actually need a teacher in order to understand there's a lot of things and definitely on the spiritual path there's a lot of uh, uh, secrets there's a lot of teachings empowerments initiations that has to be unlocked for you and that is the teacher's role it's not something you can do all by yourself you have to rely on someone who has walked the path before you teachers even need a teacher right a guru needs a guru right Definitely. Every teacher has a teacher or they should have a teacher. So that's how we understand lineage. And that, by the way, is also something we need to understand when when we uh, um, approach a guru or when someone um, calls themselves a guru or appears as a guru. Then we should really check, well, who was the teacher's teacher? What kind of lineage do they come from? Are they just self-proclaimed gurus or do they actually belong to a tradition? It's interesting you say that, you know, um, people are always looking at uh, each other's credentials, but we forget to ask who is the teacher's teacher? Not only, you know, what university did they go to, but, but who actually taught that person that inspires me, that's guiding me, that's carrying me in, in any uh, different constellation, uh, whether it's work or whether it's, uh, you know, joining a certain club, you know, who inspired the person that's inspiring, uh, inspiring me? Um, do you have a guru, Ellen Johannesson? <laughs> I don't have a, like a, a Vajra guru, a, a, a very uh, a tantric guru that I have this kind of really intimate, close relationship with. But I have many teachers uh, who I uh, respect highly and who I have, who I believe have realizations. Uh, so yes, I I have uh, I have gurus, uh, but uh, regarding what you just said, that we don't look so much at the lineage. I think I think though in certain traditions we do. 
we do look at uh, at who was our teachers teachers we we certainly do it in academic uh, uh, milieus we see who who did this person study under what is the what is his or her influences and it's quite often the case even if you look at western philosophy you will see that uh, you know plato was the student of socrates and you will see similar things that they build on what their teachers uh, taught them and they the the student kind of takes it uh, further um, of course it's uh there's obviously someone has been inspired by someone uh, or or something but um speaking of something you know if someone has has their self-proclaimed knowledge and their self-study and and uh there are many individuals that just they don't maybe find a guru they don't find someone that'll lead them down and through the valley of despair and and avidya uh or vidya uh you know the opposite of ignorance is is more knowledge but you know um are these people credible or or does is it is it necessary to have a guru well it depends uh it depends uh, what kind of tradition you're in uh part of it is that some of this uh, knowledge is encoded you can pick up a book and you can try and read it but you will you will never get more than just a nominal understanding so you need someone who really has that experience because of course what we're seeking uh, when we're on the spiritual path is the kind of knowledge that is beyond our concepts is beyond what we already know so uh, whenever we read a book or when we read something we just map on what we already know to the new thing that we are are reading so we don't learn anything new so uh, so therefore we need a guru who can kind of open our eyes to the greater dimension who can un- unlock these secrets for us and who has a different uh, frame of reference than we have who knows the bigger pictures who who has uh, lived through it so for that we uh, we need uh, we need a guru uh, but the other thing you you said when we're looking for a guru sometimes i think we're a little bit naive when we go about looking for a guru uh, and there's actually an old saying that says uh, the the guru appears when the student is ready so if you're looking for a guru you have to kind of look at you look yourself in the eyes first and see am i really dedicated what am i ready to give up am i really uh, am i am i really ready to renunciate my de- beliefs am i ready to to get go through a, a a very deep change am i ready for a real change you know that's um that must be extremely difficult you're looking there in the mirror you're asking yourself am i ready and you've lived yes but only a mere nominal life because living the nominal code uh or the degenerative code um in a you know an overflux of way too much in society we have all your creature comforts you live in the west blah 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 but when when will you know you're ready to move from nominal to phenomenal where you know okay i am ready to learn something that I don't already put in my own framework. I mean that that going out on a limb just doesn't make sense to people because people I think, you know, in light of karma and what we've already discussed before, people for some reason think, you know, I have all the creature comforts, you know, I'm not um I'm not having to sell vegetables out on the streets that are that are going bad. 
Um, I, I, I have all of my limbs. I'm not, you know, severed. I'm, I actually live in Norway, you know, that's topping all these lists in the world. Why do I have to look in the mirror? And why, when I look in the mirror, do I need to even question the concept of, of, of needing something that's more than nominal? Cause, uh, it, for me, phenom- phenomenal is that I've, I've been born and blessed in a, a society and this, that, and the other. And then suddenly, you know, uh, my, my question is, is, you know, do you, do you agree with me that people are, um, they're getting almost karma and their own self-exploration confused? Like they, they think that, well, obviously things are good, so I don't need to change them. So why need, why do I go from nominal to phenomenal? Well, yeah, I think that's very true. When, when you're too comfortable uh, and too immersed in, in comfort and material comfort, then nothing happens. You don't see the, the need for going anywhere. Uh, so people seek something else uh, <coughs> quite often when they have gone to s- through some kind of crisis, when they have experienced some real loss which really points the the finger at, well, what is important in life? What is actually important? And what is all this other stuff that we're going to lose anyway? Because all these, like uh, our status, our reputation, our work, our possessions, we're going to lose everything. So uh, the beginning of the path is really renunciation, which doesn't, by the way, mean that you give away everything you own and uh, and um, wear one piece of uh, burlap and wear a, and carry a begging bowl. It just means that you turn your mind to what is really truly important. What is it I want out of this existence? Do I just want to fulfill my material needs? Or do I want to understand something about my existence, why I'm here, and what I can uh, achieve as a as a human being? Well, then, in that light, the the rich, very gifted, uh, karmic individual, as they see it themselves, uh, has every reason to want uh, and need uh, a guru, because it's then now that the body can be supple enough. The your situations, no one is throwing swords or knives at you. Uh, no one's breaking into your house. So, I mean, it seems like that person should be more than anyone ready for the guru because even a guru is something you can't take with you when this is all said and done. But back to karma, that energy that you are not only portraying but that you actually live in and through um would it would be an advantage to have a guru uh, in this lifetime, right? You can, yeah, you can take. Uh, it's not like you can't take with you your guru, but you can take with you the realization that you have if you have any kind of realization in in this life. If you um, manage to get closer to the truth, uh, that will have a deep impact on you, and that will uh, have an impact on on your your fear of death. Mm. So if anything is uh, is valuable, it's uh, it's that, and um, yeah, you're quite right, Ellis. That we're in an extremely uh, uh, favorable situation, just to have the freedom to even think these thoughts. You know, beyond you know, how am I going to get my next meal, or how am I going to fo- afford to send my children to school? Not having to wake up ev- every morning and worry about this is an extremely fortunate situation. And uh, we can choose to just bathe in our our wealth and comfort, or we can seek something else, something that can be truly 
value, valuable. Mm. Back to the guru himself or herself. Uh, speaking of which, can a guru be a lady? Of course a guru can be a lady. We don't have so many uh, uh, lady gurus, uh, uh, but I'm sure there are. Uh, of, of course there are, I know there are, but compared to the amount of men, there are so not that many, and that has precisely to do with uh, who has the freedom to to study or to live a, a, even a renunciate life. You know, uh, it's it's it was traditionally quite limited for, for women to make uh, such a choice. Within the Buddhist tradition, of course, you could renunciate and you could become a nun. Uh, you could take vows and, and be a nun in, in other traditions. You can be a Jain nun, for instance. But in many cases, it's uh, it's difficult for, for a, a woman. It would be difficult if you think about the Indian society, for instance, for a woman to, to walk around unprotected like a, some kind of ascetic renunciate. That would be very dangerous. Speaking of very dangerous, is it dangerous for the guru himself, I'll just say him, uh, for in this in this case, yeah, oh. uh, I don't want to say itself or herself, uh, parentheses each and every time, but let's just say the guru. The guru, is it dangerous for the guru to over uh, guruify himself or itself or herself <laughs> here we go um so i'm just you know i'm i've noticed that some there are certain gurus that that might you know have a certain ability or power or knowledge that they can transmit but they also have been maybe guilty of the same human charge in that they 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 overuse uh, uh the so-called ability or they sway people in one direction would you then you know, uh, if there were a guru police or a guru handbook, would you look at it and say, wait a minute, we have to take your guru license away from you? Well, unfortunately, Alice, there is no guru police. But uh, as students, we should try to take some precautions when we, uh, when we uh, encounter a, a guru. So there are, of course, uh, many uh, precautions uh, written in the, in the scriptures. Generally, you as a student should check out the guru really well, and the guru as well should check out the student very well that it has he or she has the, the qualities needed. So there are certain things you could look for in a guru. So he should be uh, he should first of all he should be generous. He or she should be generous, mm. and uh, he or she should should speak gently. They should speak in a nice way, and they should. Uh, they should also know how to teach. So knowing how to teach means that you teach according to the capacity of the students. You, you don't overwhelm them with something that will blow their mind or make them crazy. You, if, they, if they need to start on a very basic level, peeling the potatoes in the kitchen, that's what your student's going to do. If you can teach them the concept of, of, of emptiness or introduce them to the nature of mind immediately like that, then you can do that. But you don't mix that up or the guru do, doesn't make, mix that up. Just like, um, like the Buddha himself, he would... Um, we call his teachings the 84,000 teachings. So sometimes they would be very mundane, very plain, simple teachings for the more simple people. And sometimes they would be very deep, spiritual, abstract, hard to grasp teachings for the students of uh, um, different capacity. 
and not the least uh, that guru should live in accordance with what he teaches he should walk as he talks mm. um but uh, of course we have seen uh, examples of uh, gurus who have flaws and uh, but it's hard for us to tell as well is this really uh, is this uh, what is this flaw about Uh, mm. Do we expect uh, a teacher to be uh, 100% perfect? And, and in that case, what is that? Mm. I see what you're saying. I mean, I've attended a uh, a place in India and this in this particular place in Pandeshwara, um, this gentleman, Vijaya, he calls his place the guru, Yoga Gurukala, the yoga home of the guru where you, in this particular setting, you're learning by living amongst and with your guru in his or their, the family's environment. And um, I never really connected with the guru, the, the guru thing. I never wanted to, uh, you know, sign a contract with the guru. I just, it just, at least in my realm, my experience, it just didn't seem like the thing to do until I went to this location. And I remember after day three, you know, calling my wife back at home and just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. There's obviously things that I haven't understood or things that, you know, get in my way of of understanding and that cloud my ability to to both treat myself, to treat you, to treat my life, to treat our routines kindly. And it wasn't that I wasn't being kind or being groovy or being, you know, Uh, being different or stimulating, and it wasn't that she wasn't happy either, but she she understood very well what I was talking about because I, as you know, who she is, a, mm. you know, wonderful person, this, that, and the other. But the point being is, when I made this call, I was almost making it to myself and reminding her that I have witnessed, I'm experiencing what it's like to be in a gurukula in the house of the guru. For example, this particular individual also for this entire community, a young person, Vijaya, he has uh, their own temple and and you know pond next to the, next to the temple and servants, older men that come down and prep uh, the the different sediments that he uses to in the ceremony every morning in the puja and every night, late at night in the puja and then back up after his fourth. 30 puja uh, at 5.30, it's uh, yoga time. And this guru is already there um, having another ceremony prior to having a ceremony with everyone in terms of a, you know, a, a, a sit down doing, you know, the Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha uh, mantra before then this same guru is leading, adjusting and teaching uh, Ashtanga yoga. And then after afterwards, He runs off, changes his clothes, and runs immediately into the kitchen uh, after this long session and then uh, is helping in the kitchen, and I mean fiercely helping, and has many servants, people serving him, people that have that as their main task to make the meal, but he's still in there, and when we all are sitting on the floor eating with our hands, he is serving every single plate. Now this guy I find to be a very, very you know sharp, good-looking dude, and um, but nonetheless, his looks, he does, he's not even clouded by his own gorgeous looks because he's got books, 
He doesn't need looks when he's got books. He's got books everywhere. And with any waking time during that day while staying at this Gurukula, I see him studying feverishly, uh, wanting to know more. And then after breakfast, what does he do? He has his own puja in a temple that's inside the Gurukula. And the children, his children, his wife, this his, uh, grand, his uh, wife's mother, uh, is in, and his own mother is joining in on this puja by assisting him in certain parts as he sits there for 45 minutes. And sometimes no one was gazing or looking, it's just something he does. And then, <laughs> I'm not done yet, then he's he's not done yet. I mean, as we're speaking, he's probably doing some great deed somewhere, and I'm just sitting here, you know, talking in a microphone. But then, after this this wonderful breakfast then he has the great deeds of the day helping everyone cleaning moving feeding the cows you know uh building uh, an entire uh, new shala and then uh within just a few minutes he's already ringing a bell to tell everyone to come down so he can teach them yoga philosophy for some three or four hours and then after that dinner lunch and so on and so forth and then the night the puja there's just a non-stop guy who also can stop and have a talk, and recognize or refer to the talk he had with you three days ago, and he sees that people are walking by him, just almost gazing. And, you know, in the beginning, I thought, this guy's doing all this on purpose. He really, what a great act. Well done, I thought. But, you know, long story, not so long. I can't say short, because I've been talking for a while. I, I, I was on the phone in tears, because it dawned on me, there's a lot that doesn't dawn on me enough in my nominal mindset. Although I think I'm groovy, I'm still very nominal. So I finally became inspired by example. And I thought, this is a man who can call himself not just a man, but a human in every every uh, regard. I, I was blown away. Have you experienced this kind of witnessing the guru for reals, Ellen? Yeah, uh, definitely. I can relate to what you're saying. I think this uh, this guru he certainly fulfills the four criterions of uh, you know speaking gently, being generous, and teaching according to capacity and living in accordance with with what he teaches. I think it's very appar- apparent that uh, you know this kind of person they have really they have a, a really a vision of what you can achieve as a human being within this lifetime and that's the real renunciation then nothing else matters they're constantly practicing and it's so inspiring to encounter this um, kind of people who are just you 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 never see them you know like having oh I think I need some me time now. I think I need to sit down and have some me me time. I think I need to be cared for now. I need someone to do this for me, that for me. That doesn't ever cross their minds, you know. What they uh, what they constantly seem to be inspired by is how much is there yet to learn, how much is there yet to achieve. And uh, and they're desperate to to share this with with others, with us who are still fumbling in the dark in our mundane little world. Mm. And uh, I could also relate to what you were saying. You felt this urge to call your wife and uh, and uh, talk to yourself, seeing yourself. That's also what a, a, a really a true guru really does. He makes you see yourself, see what you are doing with your life, what you are doing with your time. 
and he also reflects the possibility that is within you. So that can be that can be tough. You know, you you see uh, how lost you are in all your concepts and your needs and uh, mm. your little hang-ups. Um So true. So yeah, it's very very powerful to encounter this kind of uh, this kind of individual. There's what was interesting is you know, you always see these movies where there's some young sort of Dalai Lama uh who's been deemed the chosen one and so on and so forth. And then I um you know, in my age of 53, this <laughs> this particular guru which he is, I you know, when I think of the word guru, I just say this guy's my guru. Uh I think he's like 34. Uh, something in the neighborhood of that. And um, because I have so much respect for him, I wasn't going to ask him how old he is. I um, I remember sitting with him one afternoon. And here comes the funny part, or not my dilemma, but you know this overthinking mind. I sat down with him, and I felt so fortunate that he asked me a question and had some time to discuss and you know shoot the breeze. Um, and we were sitting there talking. And suddenly, believe it or not, I was looking in his eyes and I had one of those sort of Mel Brooks high anxiety moments where suddenly my eyes, like in an old cartoon, um, they started rolling around and around because I was looking into his eyes. I felt, I saw his eyes. I've never had like a, 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 one of those superstitious or crazy, you know, supernatural moments in life where I just thought, what is happening? What, what is going on? Oh my God. And suddenly... He was making me dizzy. I almost wanted to pass out. And, you know, you want to line up a bunch of skeptics? I mean, I'll camp out the night before to be first in line when it comes to being a skeptic. But this, in this occasion, my eyes were just falling in the back of my head. And then I thought, afterwards, you know, also I had to call home once again just to talk about the whole eye episode. And then, you know, I, I heard in some of his teachings, you know, um, he says very abruptly, don't go with your emotions. Stick to the practice. Uh, reminding uh, uh, every one of us sitting there that was in tears. He's just saying, you know, enough of this nonsense. Just stick to what you've got to stick to. And then I thought, you know, why am I candy coating or creating or maybe even wanting more to happen than it actually is? But, you know, the I thing was real for me. So it just again told me he must be my guru. But then I'm wondering if secretly, without seeking a guru, are we all, Ellen, are we, are we looking for someone to show us the way, even if we're already on the path? Are we looking for someone to show us the way? I think we're all a bit uh, different there. I think some of us definitely have the uh, the urge to know more, and others might be more comfortable with uh, with what they're doing. <clears throat> and uh, whether we're all seeking a, a guru well I think all of us who needs to uh, uh, know more to understand ourselves more to understand what the hell are we doing here why are we here on this planet in this life how can we make the most of it before we uh, pass away um, then I think we're, uh, we're, seeking, uh, we're seeking a guru or some kind of guidance uh, but maybe for some of us, it's not uh, uh, a real person to start with. For some of us, it might be picking up a book and encounter some truth that truth that resonates very deeply with us. So that might also be the the first steps. 
Mm. Can can something in nature be a guru? Can a beautiful tree in your front yard be a guru? Definitely, there's a very strong connection between nature and uh, and uh, and practice. So if you look at the old, the ancient sages, they were all meditating under trees. And it also says in the scripture that you should sit in a quiet place underneath a tree and then you should watch your breath. So, mm. and nature is used also in the, in the tantric practices. Part of it is uh, kind of dissolving the self into the elements. So uh, you meditate on the elements of earth, water, fire, air, wind, and so on. So uh, you, you use nature in your practice. So I think nature can be, uh, can be a, a guru or a teacher to you if you can truly connect with nature. Mm. Can, can, can a um, can a guru have just like a normal 1950s Beatles style haircut, or does he have to have a bald head or really long hair? <laughs> These days, they come in all shapes and sizes. Okay, and so do our interpretations of what a guru is, um, because there are certain people that come in different shapes and sizes, just like the size of their gun. That live in Texas, that think that Donald Trump is their guru. Um, would you say that uh, you know leaders or people that inspire us, uh, even if it's in a in a very uh, deadly or morbid way, um, they wouldn't fall under? You know, you 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 bring the definition that someone that teaches you something and you know expands your scope uh, is a guru, or or would that only be that a guru can only expand your scope as long as that scope is leading into a positive? Karmic, uh, karmic action. Well, a guru is uh, supposed to leave you in a, to lead you in a positive direction, right? That's kind of the point. Not not to lead you down the wrong path. Well, positive for some hick out in the 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 woodlands is like, you know, I've got to protect my family no matter what. Although you know they haven't seen a person on their vicinity uh, in the last thirty years, they still need to protect their family. And Donald Trump is my guru. Yeah, but then we need to go back to our Ahimsa podcast and you can please listen <laughs> to that and then you'll understand what we're talking about. No, there are definitely, there are wholesome acts and there are unwholesome acts. So uh, we, need to, uh, we need to protect life at, and not take life. That, uh, but there are, of course, there are, there are false gurus or gurus who are people who are very um, charismatic who uh, who lead you down the wrong path and who justify all the misdeeds they are doing that it is necessary for the for the for their cause or something like that so uh, if you meet these like self-proclaimed gurus like that and if they don't if it doesn't really resonate with uh, with you with finding who you are with making you realize who you are in a, in a clearer light then i think you should run as fast as you can in the opposite direction mm yeah, I, I agree. If you, then what if you need to run as fast as you can in the opposite direction? Because finally, you see the light. You see your guru. When you get to your guru, do you bow down? Do you kiss their feet? Or are do we have different gurus uh, for different needs or different occasions? Because some people would just be very appalled if you had uh, bowed down, or if you you know then especially kiss their feet since they hadn't changed their socks for some days. I think you will know what to do. And sometimes uh, these cultural uh, c 
codes uh, can be very tricky. Like I remember feeling very, very clumsy around uh, Tibetan lamas because there's such a code of conduct there, like never turning the back to them and you try to walk backwards and then you stumble in your skirt or something. <laughs> uh, or, uh, you know, to kneel down without falling onto your knees and, and presenting, you're pres- supposed to present the scarf and then a little envelope with some Guru Dakshina and, and wh- what you do with your hands and where you place things. So it can be very confusing and, and difficult and, and, and some, some lamas, they definitely don't, they don't want you to, to bow down. So I think in whatever way you choose, uh, you just try to show respect and not, to res- not for the person, but for the, for the, for the knowledge, for the learning, for the wisdom that they embody. Mm. Now, embodying this wisdom um, is uh, is quite quite a lot on the guru's plate as well to to even possess this wisdom and to embody it and to then not only portray it, live it by example, but also then to sort of deliver it. Uh, and like you said, you need to, as a proper teacher or as a proper guru, you need to only teach and and guru that which uh, can be. Uh, managed in those, you know, in those small baby steps. Um, I'm thinking, you know, if if you had to, if you had to, um, you know, write a book about um, about finding a guru for someone that um, drives a Tesla um, that that has, you know, three and a half children, and lives in a beautiful home. Um, in on, in chapter one, you had to tell this person, you know, this is the first thing you need to do. Would you say it's standing in the mirror? Because that person's standing in the mirror quite a lot. Um, what would you tell this person if they, in fact, bought the book of How to Find a Guru? How to Find a Guru. Uh, I think it's good to start with some practice, maybe clear away some of your all your possessions, make a space, and do some practice, or maybe don't clear away the space, but just uh, just do some kind of practice. Don't don't buy the first business class ticket to India and and walk around and try to seek out a guru. Start with a practice, and see how that changes you. It could be a small thing, like a, a small practice of uh, generosity or of self inquiry. Uh, and then when you when you feel a, a slight change, then it's maybe time to uh, to um, take a step and uh, and learn a bit more. Well, then it's back to that sort of looking inside before you go outside. And I'm thinking, you know, I've heard, I've seen some sort of, not sure if it was on Netflix or something else, where it says the guru is you. Um, can you yourself be your own guru in a sort of between station phase? Well, ultimately, you are your own guru. There's no one else who can uh, who can uh, uh, kind of transplant into you something that is not all already there. But uh, the truth or the the truth of who you are, your own inner wisdom, is there. It's just clouded at the moment. So you need the you need the guru to take away, like we said in the beginning, the guru is the dispeller of darkness. Mm-hmm. So you need someone to help you clear away that. But uh, I think in that process you should 
you should also notice that what is happening is that you are coming closer to yourself. You're uh, discharging all the stuff that you don't need. Uh, And in that way, of course, ultimately you are your own you are your own guru, but you the guru's role is more like holding up a mirror for you so you can see that which you cannot see, which you're not in contact with. Mm. Well, do you, do, you, do you think the guru um, and, you know, showing us the light and dispelling the darkness, do you think the, the guru is going to show us the light uh, in the future or do most gurus also look down at their wonderful, you know, 4, 5G and uh, network telephones um, seeking out more information as they bow their heads and not see the world passing in front of them. Well, who knows? The The guru world is uh, also changing. I mean, in terms of uh, using more uh, modern uh, utilities, more props, you will see llamas these days. They don't have really the, a pecha, a traditional palm leaf, a um, traditional loose leaf manuscript but they have an ipad Uh, but uh, does that change anything i don't know i don't think so i don't think it necessarily changes anything and uh, the their teachings are definitely becoming more available now that you know we have uh, we have much more and much easier access to a guru it's not like you had to travel for three four years to to seek out some hidden valley somewhere in Tibet or the Himalayas to to find the guru, and then you would have to uh, offer them everything you uh, everything you owned basically to uh, uh, get to get a teaching. Mm. It's not like that anymore. Things are very uh, available, but that also poses the question: Well, if it's so available, are we then able to appreciate it? <laughs> exactly. I was just thinking, you know, you'd have a guru, uh, you know, doing his thing on YouTube. And then, you know, after so many words of wisdom, you're just there sitting there alone in tears, although he's asleep in some faraway place. And then, you know, at the the very end of all that knowledge, he says, don't forget to like and subscribe. And then you would just be like, okay. And then, you know, then, then it brings back the question, you know, does 3G or 4G or 5G, does it mean three gurus, five gurus or four gurus? I mean, what does that G mean? And is there... I don't know. I'm. Uh, I'm just. I'm getting lost on a tangent here. But I. Um, I'm still. I'm still a little bit. You know, confused when it comes to con- context in any connection when it comes to whatever topic we discuss because there's a lot of language uh, that intimidates me. Just words in general in any light, shape, or form in the dictionary. You have context in everything. Um, and you have definitions, and without language, we we wouldn't be able to have this podcast. We wouldn't be able to, like you say, have the luxury of thinking without feeling that someone's chasing us and wanting to to take all of our possessions away. Um, uh, in light of what I'm mentioning now, uh, I'm thinking, you know, is it is it the word guru sounds quite fancy? It's like you couldn't even choose a better phonetic to like let slip off your tongue. Um, it sounds just immediately of some great worth um, to look at, to look up to, to finally have, to understand, and to be able to say, I have a, and then wait for it, guru. I mean, if if the name was different, do you think it would change the position of what the guru is? Or do you think 
that the word doesn't have any implications. When you consider Sanskrit and you think of the power of words, because the words carried and carry in Sanskrit not only a meaning but also an energy, is there a certain energy in the word guru some that um, that we need to, to understand better? Do you mean if uh, <coughs> the word guru was replaced with squirrel? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I really love my squirrel. It's like I really look up to my squirrel. I, oh, really? You have a squirrel? No, oh, that's that's good for you. Um, but if you say I have a guru, people would say, oh. I, so once again, yes, sometimes it's just like uh, back to Jaws 300,000 or Jaws 2 or Star Wars 8. You know, I'm just like, you know, do do certain things become more uh more important just because of the, the sound. Like, because they like, have a name in Sanskrit? Like they have a name in Sanskrit, like Dharma. Oh, yeah, look but also, out, look out. see the word guru is also an adjective, and then it just means heavy. Yeah, okay. So you could say a heavy stone, or you, it could mean guru, mm. you know, and, and it, it, it also implies that the guru is heavy, or in Tibetan, lame, lama can also be lame. Then it's an adjective, and but then it means unsurpassable. That it's the highest principle. So it be the, it could be the 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 highest guru or the highest teaching. Um, well, I don't know these fancy words. I I feel that people are not so eager to talk about their uh, their gurus. Mm. You could also just say that I have a teacher if you want to uh, if you want to be. Um, to speak more uh, on an uh, ordinary, understandable level and not sound quite so exotic. Yep. You're, bringing, uh, mm, you're bringing up a good point. I'm wondering, do people not want to share their gurus once they find them? They're just like, he's my guru. No, I think you. Uh, uh, I think you should share your your gurus, but your guru might be right for you. It might not be right for another person. But mm. in general, I think you always try to bring people with you into realization so that they are not stuck in their miserable lives and uh, and uh, just trying to go on and gain more possessions and repu reputation and all these worldly things so i think it's it would be a generous act to at least try mm, at least you can plant some we call it like a karmic seed that maybe if the time and circumstances is not right for a, for a different person or for your friend to, to meet your guru or to follow your guru, you could at least make that connection. So maybe at a later stage, when, when the time is ripe, um, they, could, uh, they could benefit from, from meeting a, a teacher. Speaking of words, you know, you just said when the time is ripe. Uh, and I know that was just, uh, you just, you know, fumbled on that word instead of when the time is right. Uh, but it, it really is, it's all, it's all about something being ripe enough to then being ready to, to, to eat it, swallow it, and be nourished by it. And maybe that's, um, that's kind of the clue in finding uh, uh, a guru, is do it when the time is ripe. Um, when your karma has ripened and mm. the time is right. Oy. Then, wow, <laughs> this is getting pretty cosmic uh, towards the end here. Did you have any other sort of like uh, guru-like thoughts to share with us? Like the Beatles, for example, they they decided all of a sudden in the middle midst of all their success, you know, money couldn't buy you love, and it and money couldn't buy them anything. They had everything, and uh, and and more than anything. Uh, a great amount of money. So then you saw the Beatles venture down in their sergeant uh, 
uh, Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band phase where they all went down to India and sat with some of, some of the, the, the great, uh, well, at least common gurus, popular uh, gurus of the time. Do you think everyone goes through a guru phase in life and then suddenly it's like, okay, um, I'm done with that. Or, okay, I found my one guru and there's not space for two. Is it like finding uh, a partner and, and just sticking it out? Uh, well, if you look at the Beatles, well, they all went to India. They all went to uh, this one guru. But you could see also that it stuck more heavily with one of them, like uh, um, like um, uh, George Harrison. He had a more, much more deeper relationship with the guru than the than the rest, and it influenced his music. He was very devoted. He recorded many like hymns and and songs, uh, or bhajans or kirtans. Um, this type of uh, spiritual songs. Uh, so, uh, you know, for young guys, goes to meet a, a guru, but it ha- he has a different impact on, on them. Uh, what was your second question, whether we uh, need a guru or not? No, if you, you know, if, if, if it's a one-time shot, do you need... Oh, a one-time shot, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, it depends, actually. The, it, it depends, again, what kind of path you're on and what kind of connection you make with that uh, teacher or with that guru. It might be that um, that uh, you walk the path for a, a certain amount of time with, uh, with one teacher and then you want to engage in another type of teaching. Or it might be that you your teacher has taught you as much as he can teach and he will send you off to another teacher. Mm-hmm. They're not. They can't cover everything. So some teachers will be more um, will be more versed in in one practice. So your teacher might well send you to another person to learn such certain things. Either way, when someone inspires you to that degree, is there a protocol when it comes to showing appreciation to your guru that you think um, is mandatory, or do you, that you feel if someone has really enlightened you, should you? Should you send them either money or should you send them emails? Should you with with little hearts and emojis or should you do some karma yoga and ask them, is there anything I can do uh, while I'm in the presence of you? Uh, I don't want to go off to the beach today. Um, uh, I'd rather, you know, stick around and shovel some of the dirt or, you know, take the cows for a walk. What do you what do you do um, to show appreciation to this uh, towards this guru? Well, the best offering you can make to the guru is really to practice what he or she has taught you, right? Mm. That's what they're there for. That's their whole task in life is to is to teach you. And that's how you honor your teacher. So it would be very nice, you know, if you practiced what they have taught you and the next time you meet your guru, maybe a year later, maybe six months later, maybe next week, you will show that you have practiced and maybe something has changed. So, mm. so that would be the the greatest um, gift and offering and respect the to funny, your teacher. Exactly, I, I think, like you say, living, uh, learning by example. Um, uh, I, I don't, I never feel like the guru is waiting for anything. They're not waiting for any payback. They're not. Uh, they don't need to be mentioned um, in 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 the the notes. Um, they just, they uh, at least. Back to that one reference I have in uh, Pandeshva, um, in India. I was, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to mesmerize and just think about it. And it's like it's almost taking my breath and my thought processes away because it's quite powerful to, to, to have the guru. Are you then in turn, you know, instead of just 
you know, you say showing respect is a way of payback. It's showing that you've learned something and practicing that which you've learned. But on the contrary, if you fall back to your normal auspices, your normal everyday life, and you forget to be inspired or you've lost this inspiration because you've muffled it with everyday life, um, and you're sort of back at work and you're forgetting again, you're not even breathing and, you know, you all those things you wanted to do in the first place, you lost sight of, and you're back to your, your, your sort of like uh, conglomerated, uh, exasperated, um, stuffed up and contagious you that is just overwhelmed and constipated in a constant state of, yeah, of not being uh, or feeling that you have any atonement in your life. You're just totally emotionally constipated. How, how do we forget what we've learned? And is that a, then a disgrace to the guru if the guru then found out that what the heck went on there? This person was truly enlightened. So the point is, is how to keep the pencil sharpened? What would you suggest in terms of a, a practice that's manageable for everyone, no matter who you are? And it doesn't need to be a certain yoga position, but... If you had just like a one-stop, this is something you should do each and every day or each and every week to maintain what the guru taught you. What would that practice be, Ellen? Well, first of all, I, I think you have to consider how strong the, the forces of habits uh, are. You've lived most of your life immersed in this kind of society with its aims and its values, and that's going to have a very strong impact on you. And then you go to you go off to India, or you go off to some retreat, or you go off somewhere to meet the the teacher or your guru, and you're out of your context, and you're so vulnerable, and uh, you soak up everything that uh, you learn, and it it really feels like it's uh, changing you, and you come back. And you're back with all the expectations, you're back to your habitual patterns and your practice just goes down the drain. I think that happens to everyone. So what to do? I think hopefully this will change over time. Uh, don't let it uh, be too long between every visits. If you need more inspiration, if you need to maybe spend more time, just go back, try again. And a little practice we could do every day is, is just to try to remember what is important. And what we traditionally do in, um, in, the, uh, in Buddhist training is to remember how vulnerable our lives are. We aren't going to live forever. We have a very limited time. We might think in our mind that, oh, we're going to live into we're uh, 80, 90 years old. But who knows? Who knows if this is our last day, we will wake up tomorrow. So we tend to postpone things. Ah, oh, maybe when, you know, I'm done with this, when I'm old, then I can then I can practice. But we should really think about how um, how uh, everything can change. Mm. You know, it's it's so it takes so little to change our favorable uh, situation. Circumstances can change anytime. So so just think about using the the time and and um, taking a few few minutes to focus on what is important and 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 try to to let that um, shine through in your day and also in what you're what you're doing just be kind and be aware of what you're doing mm. these some scars these these habits they um 
Some of them are very handy because it keeps you know society somewhat orderly because we all share either habits together, like we're all keeping this uh, this wheel turning. And in many ways, that that creates a peace, that creates an understanding, that creates a dialect. Um, but still, those those small, you know, you are a diamond, and whatever you place next to that diamond will shine through the reflection of the diamond. But still, at the end of the day, you're a diamond. If you put something god awful black next to the diamond, and it's something that's really, you know, fiery, uh, the diamond will reflect it. Um, but still, you're a diamond. You can handle it. Uh, if you put some nice, you know, a bouquet of roses and they happen to be pink, then the diamond will shine the color pink. So I think whatever you know you're you're up to. I think, like Ellen says, the key is is to to understand what reflects. And if your habits are creating a reflection, that you just maybe need to change it up. You need to to put different things next to the diamond of you. And this miraculous, beautiful, very grateful existence that you've been given. Um, and not only because this might be your last day, <clears throat> because any day deserves um, some sort of saturating legitimacy when it comes to this light that not only you manifest, but that you've already have by default within you. So instead of, you know, allowing yourself to sort of forget the guru or not seek it out, once again, just find, understand, how do I work as you step away from yourself? Isn't that called, you know, svadvidyaya or something like this, that you have this self-study, that you look back at yourself and sort of study the self and think, you know, hey, where am I? What are my intentions? What is actually, I'm, what am I actually doing and what is it giving me? Um, you need to, before you can get out of a habit, understand that you have one, right? Mm -hmm. That you have a habit. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, uh, yeah, definitely. You have to understand that, you know, this is this is my habit and there's some reason I'm doing this. And uh, is it really important or how important is it? And then you compare that to your, well, if this was my last day, what, at the end, at the end of everything, was it worthwhile? Viveka, right? You need to discriminate. Distinguish, yeah. Mm. Well, uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, you and I obviously don't need to discriminate when it comes to understanding and respecting the fact that there are gurus and they're they're here for a reason, and that uh, we we need to sometimes uh, need to just back off of what we're seeking out and just allow the teacher to come. And maybe the teacher already has; they're standing amongst you, and they have been for some time. You just need to take the clouds. Either push them away, blow them away with good breath, open your eyes again, and look around. Because the sound and the mystique and the beauty of the guru could already be amongst and around you. So, in light of the light in the guru, I think we'll wrap up this episode and say thank you to Ellen Johannesson with her wonderful words of wisdom. And uh, this is Ellis signing out in this episode that was about what is a guru. This is the Yoga Syndicate.